Hello, and welcome to Amazing Avenue in Conversation. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining me today. My guest on the show today is author Matthew Silverman, whose new book, Shea Stadium Remembered, The Mets, The Jets, and Beatlemania, is out right now. So without any further ado, let's get to my chat with Matt. I'm joined this week on the podcast by our friend Matthew Silverman. He is an author. He has a new book coming out that is called, actually it's already out, called Shea Stadium Remembered. And uh, you may have seen him on MLB.TV with Brian Kenny. He's been on WFAM before talking about uh, the Mets and this book. And we're thrilled to have him on the podcast today. So Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I am doing just fine. So, um, you know, Shea Stadium is, is a very special place to Mets fans of a certain age. It, it's so weird to me that, like, my kids, for instance, were never at uh, Shea Stadium. They've only been to City Field. Uh, so what was the first, what was your first experience going to Shea Stadium? Um, well, ironically, it was uh, was a Yankees game um, during the um, the time when the Yankees played there. Uh, in the, the mid '70s, when they were um, re, essentially rebuilding Yankee Stadium, and they played there in 1975 and '76, and with the Old Timers Day, my dad took me in uh, 1975, and actually, um, they announced that uh, Billy Martin was going to be the manager, and Frank Robinson was, you know, the the player manager and the first uh, African American manager, and it was an exciting game and all this, and it's you know still uh, I, I don't. You know, I found I, I it because I went there, um, but I really don't count my first Shea Stadium moment is when we went a few weeks later and we saw the Mets play the Giants in a completely nondescript game <laughs> that, you know, I bet is the one that, you know, that I uh, remember and, uh, you know, never stopped asking my, you know, dad to, to if we could go to another Mets game. Yeah, I, I, uh, I want to say my first Mets game was in... 1980, it was 86 or 88, I'm 37, so I was either 4 or, or 6 when I went, but um, I remember just never having been in a place that felt so huge before. It was just, to my to my little eyes, just the most gigantic place on earth, full of so many people, it was, it was almost overwhelming. And, you know, Shea Stadium was not the largest of the, of the baseball stadiums, uh, that when it was when it was in use, but it was certainly this style of ballpark that was built in the 60s. This utilitarian could be used for football, baseball, concerts, this sort of big concrete footprint of Shea Stadium. Do you have particularly fond memories about uh, watching a ball game there, or was it just sort of, did you love Shea Stadium because you loved the Mets, or did you love Shea Stadium because you loved Shea Stadium? Hmm, um... Well, it's a good question. The, uh, I, you know, I think I liked it for its. I think I liked it most for its like sense of place. Um, you know, just that it was a some place that I knew. You know, you're like I used to work in New York, and I'm like I grew up in the suburbs, so I'm like I was always like fighting. It's like, is this the street I'm supposed to be on? Is this what I'm doing? <laughs> but uh, but around Shea, I always knew how to get around there, where to. Um, you know, where to park and where to, you know, I, I felt like uh, an insider, you know, uh-huh. uh, going in there. I, I knew how to sneak down from the mezzanine to the, uh, to the, um, uh, you know, the field level seats 
and uh, all kinds of stuff like that and and really felt like you know that was like you know my my midtown <laughs> where i just knew everywhere to go and and you know often went 20 plus times a year um and was lucky enough you know after you know uh, after enduring a lot of really bad teams in when i was a, ki- a kid um to have that that team in the mid 80s really you know made me feel like I hadn't wasted all that time on a stupid team <laughs> that it finally uh, came came uh, you know came came home to roost and uh, and you know those were like my guys yeah it's amazing to remember back when the ballparks all felt like there were secrets to them like I think the modern ballpark today is just it's it's laid out so differently you know I remember knowing which ushers at Shea Stadium, for five bucks would bring you down to field level. I remember the one place you used to be able to get a sausage and pepper sandwich in Shea Stadium. You felt like there was a secret club that you were in if you went there enough and you knew all the little idiosyncrasies. And I think that that's somewhat been lost. I'm not saying it's a good thing that it's gone because I think that in general you can get excellent experiences at ballparks nowadays with things that I wouldn't have even dreamed about as a kid going to Shea Stadium. But you're right. It, it sort of felt like your office almost. You know, uh, I love yeah. that feeling. Yeah, and I talked to uh, Howie Rose about it as well, and he, he, you know, went, you know, he was talking about ten, fifteen years earlier, uh, even twenty years from like what I would call my heyday, and he was, you know, he thought of it the same way that he, that uh, you know, and and he even said, you know, uh, he loves, you know, he, the city field is great, and he goes to the games, always looks forward to going to the games, but you know, the whole idea of like going there for an experience or for food or whatever is just lost on him. He's like, you know, he had like every penny was like, you know, if he had like an extra nickel, you could <laughs> would be for like a soda or something like right. that. Um, uh, maybe it cost a little more than that, but I mean, I think he went with like $5 and, you know, maybe he had enough for a soda and would bring the sandwiches and all that other stuff. And he's like, I didn't really care what I ate there. I, you know, I bought enough so I wouldn't be hungry. But he was there to see a ball game, and it's kind of a. Sometimes you wonder about the people around you. Is like, are they really here to see a ball game? And uh, <laughs> you know, at Shea, there were there were they did draw you know like a hundred million people. So there was always people that had never seen a game before, or didn't really know what, or were dragged there. Or I've seen you know countless people like reading books during a game, waiting for like the fireworks or or for something at the end. But, uh, you know, it was uh, you were there because you wanted to see the Mets or you wanted to see live baseball or you just wanted to be where the people were. Yeah. Now, in your book, you don't just talk about the Mets. You talk about some of the other experiences that happened at Shea Stadium. And for for a music aficionado like myself, the Beatles playing at Shea Stadium is I mean, if people don't know Shea Stadium for the Mets, they know it for the Beatles. And so when you were doing research for your book, what was the bit about the Beatles' performance there that, that stood out the most to you? Um, well, you, you know, it always uh, amazes me how short they played. I mean, they played for like half an hour, mm-hmm. and they you know, they had all these songs that were like two, two, three minutes long, and they just cranked them out one after the other. They realized pretty quickly that they couldn't, especially the first concert, by the time they had the second one, it was a whole different uh, thing. And they were used to not being able to hear, but they couldn't hear a thing. Um, they, you know, they, they cranked out the, the, the songs. They had like six or seven different groups warm up for them. Ed Sullivan was there. It was, you know, a huge deal. And 
the funny part is, is that they um, they didn't really have that many, as many concerts there as you would think uh, over the years, but they they had like really big ones, um, you know, and a lot of them were English, and that was what they they didn't know anything about baseball. They they knew that that's where the Beatles played, um, and you know you had the Who played there and the Rolling Stones. Uh, the Clash is probably the the best warm up band they ever had there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Kind of Bruce Springsteen was there, Eric Clapton, uh, um, uh, Elton John. You know that they didn't play there. You know, year after year after year, it was sort of like they all wanted to take a look from what uh, John Lennon called the um, the top of the mountain, which was uh, what he said. Uh, you know, uh, uh, was his feeling when they played at Chase Stadium. Yeah, it's, it's got to be unbelievable to go from playing you know, little clubs and theaters to playing just this gigantic mass of humanity. Um, did you ever see a concert at Shea Stadium? You know, I did. I I, I somehow missed the – I was a big, big Who fan, but uh, we had it, they played on a school night, and I, I lost that battle. But um, I did see uh, The Police, which um, was, you know, a big deal. I didn't really – I it, to be honest, as you know, spent the, the time sitting there it was like really hot, drinking warm beer and going, "Gosh, I wish I was at a Mets game." <laughs> <laughs> I wish the Mets could draw as many people. And uh, but I did see. Um, I went to see Billy Joel as the the last concert there, and it was uh, very special when they had brought out um, Paul McCartney came there at the end, and, and actually uh, Billy Joel let him you know play the last song. Which uh, I've never seen uh, in any kind of concert before, where they let you know someone else do it for something that was his concert, and it was uh, it was you know was and and some by some happenstance got the seats that I generally had sat in like in the eighties. Oh really? You know, that's pretty got, fun. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It was, I just saw that there, and I already bought tickets to the other concert, and I saw that, and I'm like, I just have to get these. And I, you know, sold the tickets to somebody else, but I was, and then they, um, you know, it was, uh, uh, glad that I, glad that I had done that. Cause it was, it was great. One last time sitting in the, in the spot that we had, had seen a lot of the 80 stuff from, um, you know, cause they had a lot of different seats, obviously that I sat in and, uh, over the years, but that was the one that probably sat in the most. And I think saw the, one of the games for the world, uh, two of the games for the world series, not the ones anyone remembers, but the, uh, <laughs> first two where they uh they they sort of made the 86 story into uh a more memorable one and they just you know kicked the red Sox butt like everyone had expected initially right hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No, I was going to ask about the last play at Shea because my mom is a big Billy Joel fan. And so she and her friends got tickets to the, to the concert. And then they announced the second date. And she was really mad because she said, you know, we paid extra being told this was the last concert at Shea Stadium. And now here we are with another one. And uh, she was doubly mad when McCartney didn't show up to both of them. <laughs> but just the just the true last one. Um, you know, but... Uh, yeah, that was... Go ahead. That, that was poorly done. <laughs> you know, they, 
uh, but I, I understand the, the way that they had it and they, and, you know, they were doing it during baseball season. So they really couldn't do it any other day when the Mets were away and still have it like, you know, that same week uh, or what have you. But, um, you know, the people that were at the other show really uh, lucked out, to, to, you know, to be honest. Uh, and the people who bought the original ones, and I tried to get tickets to the, to the original concert, and it it sold out in ten minutes. Right. Yeah. So, um, um, have you ever seen an NFL lucky. game at uh, Shea Stadium? You know, I I I, I did. Um, I I can't believe I only went to one because later on I went to tons of uh, game Jets games at, and I'm not even really a Jets fan, but um, you know, just ended up someone I knew had uh, we had access to tickets and the tickets were like 20 bucks so we stole all the time at the meadowland but i only went to one at shea and it was a great game um the jets beat the dolphins uh in 81 and the first time going to the playoffs uh it's since you know um joe namath uh in, what was it the 1969 season um so that was that was very exciting they won on the, i think jerome barkham caught a touchdown pass in the last uh minute of the game what was it like watching football in that stadium? Because, you know, I've actually never talked to anyone about this before. I wouldn't imagine it would be all that enjoyable. Um, it was cold. <laughs> it was like right around this time of year. It was the day, uh, you know, I would almost say like 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 this, um, where it was overcast. It was a 4 o'clock start. It was uh, like spitting rain, and we were underneath like the overhang, which were not nearly as bad as seats for football as they were for baseball. Right. And uh, and um, you know it was uh, it it was it was nice, but um, you know it was even cold, probably as cold as I was at most Mets games. You know that were that were stretched in October, or you went you know to an early season night game. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but it was but it was exciting and. It was weird seeing, you know, the the, the field sort of uh, set up uh, differently, and it, you know, talked about, um, you know, it not being fair to the people who had the, uh, the 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 guy who was kicking into the open end of the stadium in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you know, Pat Leahy was lining up the extra point to break the tie, and uh, nobody was just assuming that it was going to be good, and uh, and he did not get through. Yeah, it's it's amazing. When you consider that it was technically built to host multiple sports, but it was so poorly constructed for football, I'm surprised that any team played there for any extended period of time. Um, but that's I, that's what happened. It was before it's before every stadium was so boutique and uh, you know m- tailored specifically for its for its uh, sport there. Um, yeah, yeah. And they, and they wouldn't have, uh, you know, in the 60s, it, or they would not have built a stadium that was just for baseball. Right. Uh, they just, it, you know, as it was, they, there were definitely arms that were twisted. And, you know, they desperately wanted a baseball team. And having a football team just seemed like, uh, you know, there was already one there. So let's throw them on there, too, and make it seem even more egalitarian. Yeah. Um, so of all the games that you saw at Shea, you know, I know it's easy to talk about playoff games, World Series games, you know, these these games that are all, that are iconic to all of us. But is there a favorite moment you have from sort of a more uh, mundane game, a more just normal, everyday Shea Stadium experience? Um, well, you know, I, uh, for, you know, certainly for regular season, they, they when Tom Seaver came back, I had skipped school to go to that. 
and the last game of the 99 season where they, they clinched, or they didn't clinch anything, but they just won the, to play in the one game playoff. Um, I, those are like two of my favorite regular season games, but you know, at, at games where the, um, you know, there was a 17 inning game I went to and I, I like dragged these people there that weren't big fans. And, uh, it's the longest game I went to and mercifully for everyone involved. And that was a year the Mets lost a hundred, uh, 103 games in, uh, 1993 and, uh, mercifully, you know, and I wasn't leaving <laughs> that, uh, the game was like a one nothing game and it was over in like, you know, less time than it takes, a, you know, a world series game to, uh, you know, to, to, to complete, but it was, we were there for a long time and man, when we first did by the time it was over, um, uh, and just inning after inning after inning, uh, I think Bobby Jones picked like 10 innings. Uh, that was, that was great. And, uh, you know, I would say when I went, uh, Dwight Gooden first, um, started pitching and it started to become uh, happening. And that was when I was going to a lot of games and you could just watch it building. And he had one, uh, you know, it was, it was a big game, but it was against the Cubs and it was, uh, probably the apex of that 84 team, which is still one of my favorite teams. Cause it, I didn't, you know, I, I know knew the Mets pretty well, even then. And uh, I didn't see it coming at all. And, um, uh, they, you know, when they, they, I think they had like a three or four game lead and he beat the Cubs two to one and a foul ball hit me right in the shoulder. And, uh, wow. it was hit so hard. <laughs> I kind of looked because, you know, I was sitting on the seats right above uh, the first row in the mezzanine. And uh, got got nailed in the shoulder without was just catching it out of the very corner of my eye, and you know uh, so I kind of made it you know my shoulder was fine I you know after a few innings but I was like you know that guy really does so hard <laughs> that I got a real taste of what it, what it actually meant and glad he didn't hit me with a pitch because I can only imagine what that would feel like I'm much closer. It's it's incredible that you got hit by a foul ball because I have been to. I mean, it has to be minimum 100 baseball games at this point in my life. And a foul ball has never come within 15 feet of me. <laughs> so I don't know how you got so lucky or how I got so unlucky. The only foul ball that ever came anywhere close to me was in Port St. Lucie at a, at a spring training game. Uh, David Ortiz hit a batting practice home run off of a security guard, and it dribbled to me. <laughs> that's the closest I've ever gotten to catch wow. a foul, any sort oh, of bet. batted ball. So, <laughs> well, that's like, it could have been, you know, David Segui or something that's like true. That. <laughs> that, uh, but I did catch one. I think you're talking about, you know, mundane games that really weren't, um, that big of a deal. It was the last game that Willie Randolph managed in New York, the second game of Father's Day, and the place totally emptied out and my family was away. And, um, so I just stayed for the second game. My friend was like all mad that I wasn't driving him home. But I was like, yeah, it's the second game, the, you know, doubleheader. And, and, and David Wright hit a ball that, that kind of bounced around in the area I was. And I ran over, got it, and grabbed it just before someone's hand, you know, reached up from one of those um, uh, alleys, you know, where, where you, know, you would walk through. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank of what it is, you know, the, the, where you would walk through, the area would walk through. And he was reaching up, and I was reaching down. And I grabbed it just before he got it. And I, you know, I was looking at him cause I was standing above him and he cursed at me and I was like, and I looked at my house. That's when I realized I, I got that ball. <laughs> and that was the only one I had from Shay. And when I, um, 
uh, when I went to the, I just stuck it in my pocket. So no one would ask me to give it to a kid. <laughs> like I've been to like 300 games. No one else is getting this ball. And fortunately no one was there. Uh, uh, but I, I, I didn't take it out in my pocket until afterwards. And I saw that it had um, the Shea, Shea stadium last year emblem on it. And my, my knees did shake a little bit when I, when I, when I noticed that and they won, which made it even better. Yes. And you said it was hit by David, Wright. It was hit by David Wright, and I, the that's... next day, David um, um, Willie Randolph got fired. <laughs> I mean, but that's three for three. You got the Shea ball. You you know they won the game, and David Wright hit it. That's a that's a pretty that's a, that's a, that's a pretty lucky break there. That's you should be proud of that. Well, I was sitting over there because I was like, you know, if I'm going to be sitting here by myself, I'm going to go in an area that is you know zeroed in for foul balls, and right. and and. Uh, you know, I'd done that before and, you know, never had anything come close to me. But that time, that day was my lucky day and that they were playing the Texas Rangers and people don't apparently stay for second games of doubleheaders anymore. Well, it's so rare you get a doubleheader anymore, a true doubleheader, a single admission one. It's pretty, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's pretty rare. So that was another nice thing about Shea Stadium is that they only had a handful of them in the whole time they were there. Uh, you know those um, not not regular doubleheaders. I, I actually did a painstaking count of all the the doubleheaders that they did play there, and um, they only had a handful of uh, games that if doubleheaders that were you know we we'll call them split doubleheaders. Every everything else, even even like the last couple of weeks that Shea was around, they they almost always had um, you know a, what you'd call just a doubleheader, and uh, um, you know I. I I never, never walked in a Banner Day doubleheader, but I went to uh, a few um, over the years. And uh, in that 84 season, that same series I was mentioning with uh, where Gooden pitched, um, and there was just an out. They actually had to stop people from coming because they had, it had been like over an hour of people walking with the, with the things. Yeah. With the, um, with the banners. And the Banner Day, um, uh, you know, I, I always thought once they got rid of the doubleheader, that was the only scheduled doubleheader in all of baseball for the last few years. They had it that, you know, once you didn't have a whole house and you didn't show it on channel nine, it just wasn't the same, you know, yeah. it was nice. They brought it back, but it, it you know, at city field, but, uh, you know, kind of went away quietly because it just was not the same. It's one of those things that I think given the right circumstances, it could be great again. You can make it special, mm-hmm. but it was just a—it's a relic of a different time, unfortunately. So yes, when they had one at City Field, and they actually had a double header on Banner Day, and they still had Banner Day before the game, I was like, "This is just totally lost. <laughs> this is this is just slaw. If, if if that's how it ends up happening, this this is this is not going to last." And uh, and I and I think they only had one or two more after that. Yeah. Well. Matt, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about Shea Stadium. I will always carry fond memories of Shea Stadium, as I know a lot of Mets fans do as well. Um, if folks want to read more about you, find out about your book, where where would you direct them to do so? Um, I would say you know they can go to their local bookstore um, or Barnes, you know Barnes and Noble. Uh, also, Amazon has uh, has plenty of copies there, and it's Shea Stadium remembered. Um, the Mets, Jets, and uh, Beatlemania. Do you have a website as well you can direct folks to? Oh, yes, I do. Uh, I Thank you. <laughs> I forgot all about it. It's MetSilverman.com. And I actually, uh, during, uh, I'm still occasionally putting stuff up about this day at Shea, but I was, um, you know, hard and heavy into it uh, earlier this year when there were 
bunch of things going on, uh, you know, that were coming up on there and tried to dig up some weird dates from Shay that weren't all just like 86 or 69 and stuff. Right. Um, and you know, it was a, it was a great place. The food was bad. Um, you know, if you had a seat in the upper deck, you were not guaranteed a great view, but you know, it, you know, when I'm watching a game on TV, I actually have a couple of seats, uh, from Shay in, in my basement, uh, that, you know, if everything's right, I can kind of just, you know, like, like when you look at something from the peripheral vision that you're actually there, you know, yeah. it, it can kind of recreate it when I'm sitting there late at night. Um, except instead of 20,000 people around me, there's nobody, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you kind of can feel them there. And those seats are much more comfortable when there's not someone in front of you. <laughs> or someone six <laughs> inches next to you or, or three inches next to you, whatever yeah. it is. Or so. you have to turn your side, <laughs> turn sideways for the entire game. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, thank you, Matt, for stopping by the show. We had a little bit of an audio difficulty, as you might hear. My microphone quality uh, fluctuated quite a bit in the interview, but uh, it turned out great. Matt was a great guest, and his book is really fantastic. Again, it's called Shea Stadium Remembered, The Mets, The Jets, and Beatlemania. Please pick it up uh, on Amazon or your local bookseller or wherever you get your books. You can find more about Matt on his website, which is metsilverman.com, M-E-T as in the team we all love. And he's also on Twitter at metsilverman, so check all that out. You can find us at amazingavenue.com. You can find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I am personally on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go Mets. <laughs>